Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode. On this week's episode, I am joined by David Morgan. And David is the founder of a business called Morgan Law, which is interestingly not a law recruitment firm. Although he agrees it probably should be with that kind of name, but they are a specific or specialist recruitment business in corporate functions across um, not-for-profit and public sector organizations. So a lot of central government, local government, et cetera, across the UK. Um, 22 years in operation, David has built the business with his business partner. Um, they're now at 35 heads. They did get up to 50, 60 in the past. Um, and have, over those years, David has seen different recessions, multiple challenges, both professionally and personally, um, and has weathered a lot of issues and, and come out positive on the other side. He's now, in the last few years, changed his role to be more outwardly facing. He's no longer operationally involved like he used to be, like leading clients, teams and recruiters, etc. Um, he now looks outwardly facing. And in this episode, we talk a lot about the economy and what he's seeing and what, what he's learned from his recent outwardly facing activities. Um, so people listening to this show will get a really honest guy, someone who can talk to you about what it was like setting up a recruitment firm uh, in 2000 when you needed a fax machine and shit. It's quite hilarious how different life is now. Um, and how he's reinvented himself through those years. And he, he 100% realizes he needs to change and the business needs to change with the times as opposed to just staying. So many recruitment people in our world, they just say, well, it worked for me. It'll always work for me. And that is not the truth. David reinvents himself. He puts a lot of time and effort into learning. Um, and as I said, he's very, very hot on the current economy and what's happening. Um, he gives a really good indication. So I recorded this earlier this week, and I'm pretty confident you're going to enjoy the show. So without further ado, David, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, we, I think it was about, what was it, the summer we, we spoke about this and getting recorded about August time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we were looking at um, potential economic challenges ahead. And I think you were looking at putting together the series um, to help people along or with some sort of sage and wisdom about how to face headwinds and, and, and what to do with headwinds coming out of a pandemic, which um, I think has been very useful for, for people to share ideas. So I was you know, delighted to be invited and um, we'll do or will tell you whatever I can that may or may not be of help. Oh, I'm sure you've got plenty of stories, plenty of wisdom for us there, as you would say. It's plenty of wisdom. But I just, I can't believe how quick that time's gone. Like, it's gone like 
bang, the summer's the summer's now over. We're we're entering October in a week's time, which I can't believe. Um, do us a favor, David. We're going to get into all sorts, but I've done you a little intro, but I, I prefer you to to give us a more specific overview. So, who are you right now, and what do you do for for the listeners that don't know? Okay, so um, David David Morgan, one of the co-founders of Morgan Law. Um, my business partner is Simon Law. We don't actually do legal recruitment, which we probably should, but uh, we don't <laughs> yet. Um, and we set up in 2000 as a public sector and not-for-profit sector industry specialist, hiring sort of middle management to senior management um, functions, functional specialists. So uh, head of finance, finance director, um, HR, IT, um, procurement, projects, project management, that sort of thing. So um, very much the, the the functional side of... of How many people are in the business? Sides. Pardon? How big is the business now? In terms of headcount, we are probably about 30, 35, 35. Um, we are probably running about 20, early 20s in the turnover. Um, 20 million, we run a calendar year, year end. So we're, we're coming up to the end of our third quarter. Um, yeah, same, same. We started off the business in, in March. So we had like a, a March till March, not March till the end of February. And it just didn't work for me. So we had, we had a nine month year in yeah. year two and then we went to calendar. It just, just doesn't make sense for me to be any time of the year. But some of my clients have like Q1 starting in November. I'm like... Well, what was interesting? So when we when we set up, um, so Simon and I left Michael Page in two thousand. Um, obviously, worked through our contracts, notice periods, etc. Um, so we didn't actually we started the business, or the year started in October. So we had a September to October, mm. uh, sorry, October to September year end um, financial year, and I found that quite useful because we were planning the following calendar year in quarter what is everybody else's quarter four yeah so we could we had sort of an extra three or three months to actually put the plans in place based on um what our q1 was which everybody else's q4 for the calendar year so it it did kind of work initially but we just had to fall in line for for reporting and yeah. yeah. Well, one of our clients, I think it's Faden. They they do November Q one mm-hmm. starts, so they're basically Christmas is middle of Q one, and they do that on purpose so that you know they believe that the rest of the industry will be down slowing down while they're they're ramping up. Like who yeah. who slowed down in middle of Q one? Like sure. you know. So it's I think that's quite clever. I'm still not sure I'd want to do it. <laughs> no, um, it was yeah. It, it I think. I mean, the, the industry, I think everybody talks about how cyclical and seasonal the industry is. We've never really found that until, well, I think this year we've had a particularly slow summer. Um, and I think a lot of people had holiday rolled over from the pandemic, you know, carried mm-hmm. over days. I think um, people had holidays booked in 2020 that they rebooked in 22. Um, I think people were desperate to just get away. Um, so yeah, seasonally, um, not normally affected. Um, but I think this year has been a, it is, has been a a one-off. Um, and it's been a, 
it's been a, it's been an eerie um uh market i think with with just everybody away so um keen to to get back obviously after the queen's passing and the national morning and i think the cork's back out of the bottle with 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 jobs and with candidates so it's all looking good for the for q4 i think yeah i agree um so let's go back so Tell us why did you why did you even start the business? What was the you're a recruiter with your, your mates in my yeah. well? What made you leave and do it? I uh, I think all the way back, um, sort of growing up, yeah, well, uh, older than you, so so growing up in that um, sort of late eighties kind of you know entrepreneur, young you know business small business owner, make your own, create your own destiny was, was all was drilled into me. My dad was an entrepreneur. He, he um, started his own business. And I think I always had in my mind, I wanted to run my own business. And I think that made it difficult for me to fit into a corporate environment. Yeah. So I started my recruitment, my recruitment days started at Hayes, um, did a couple of years with them and then did four or five years with, with Michael Page. And it was just too frustrating. It was just really frustrating. And, and I think I think you know, big corporates are perfect for a lot of people. Um, but I think then and at the time, you know, mid-20s, you know, full of full of full of ambition and probably full of arrogance, um was was really willing and able to take the risk um of leaving a very well-paid corporate job. Um, and starting up in a back bedroom with nothing but a Rolodex and a phone. Um, what was so, your dad's, your dad's uh, business of interest? Oh, look, he's in the car. He's the he's in the car business. He's in the car game. Car game. He's you know um, he runs an auto electrical shop in Newcastle. Right. Um, there's only three of them, but you know he took that risk. But like I said, back in the eighties, um, and. You know, has has been a you know a great move for him. He's 76, 77. He still goes to work. Wow. He's they're still in there. Lovely. Every Saturday morning they go in there and they'll have their bacon sandwiches and have a laugh. But you know, he's still he's still grafting because he loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, that really was a I think a, a product of the the environment at the time. Yeah, um, I don't think, I didn't have that, you see. I didn't have any entrepreneurial uh, guidance or I didn't know anyone who had their own business. And I think if I'd have had that earlier, I think it might have had an impact on me earlier. I think I'd have been like a bit more. I knew. I think I got once I got into the working world, I was like, imagine having your own business, but yeah. didn't really feel realistic for a while. I think I had to learn the skills of, of the recruiter, and I was like, oh, this is possible. But yeah, but a lot of people do have you know have the idea of of running something, or I could do this, or I could do that, but the execution of that as we found out is, is a lot more difficult. And I'm you know, so pleased that we did it together because we were able to separate. So he's a, a, a fantastic um, temp and interim operator. And I was always perm retained sort of semi search, executive search. Hmm. So we had complementing operational skills, but also co complementing sort of organizational skills when it comes to setting something up. So it's like, look, can you sort this out? Can you do the bank account? And I'll do the I'll do the telephones. If you you know the actual basics of, of of setting up. What did you need to set up back then? Like, what was the so obviously bank accounts are standard, but what I'm thinking, what was the sort of kit and shit you needed back in 2000 and 2000? So 
We leased a server <laughs> from, I don't even know if they still exist, a company called Time Computers. Right. Um, plugged in a couple of PCs to it, stuck um, the CRM that we've still got today. Wow. That it we coded, we, we created everything on it. We, you know, it, it was actually an IT contractors, um, designed for IT contractors. So a lot of the, some of the terminology was a bit off, but we have really just bespoke within the limitations of a, of a off the shelf CRM and we still use it now. Um, and that was, you know, that was based on our experience of big company, you know, yeah. behemoth systems that just, you know, just didn't work. Um, a couple of phones. I bought my first mobile phone, um, and resisted up until 2000. Um, and, you know, some business cards and a make to do a website and an, uh, <laughs> an off the shelf free email address, which was morganlaw2000 at aol.com. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, and um, Simon's dad's fax machine down the road. Wow. So, how did the faxing situation work back then? Oh, we used to have to run backwards and forwards to get timesheets and, you know, faxing CVs. We'd be. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, I never use a fax machine in my life, right? How does it? See, so you get how do you get a fax over to someone? What do you have to do? So it's, if if you imagine putting um, a document, half a dozen CVs into yeah. a scanner in a printer, yeah. So you you stick them in the top. You dial a phone number, and it'll slowly drag those paper those pages through, yeah. um, and then. I don't know what wizardry happens at the other end, but then it came out as, a as an online document or as a paper doc. No, as a paper document. Oh god! So you used to have so fax machines used to have um, they wouldn't have a, a cutting facility, so they just end up as an enormous. You can imagine sending six CVs, and you just have an enormous, almost like a, a toilet roll of <laughs> fax paper to sort of reel through. Wow! To, to see where it sort of begins and ends. Um, wow. Yeah, we used to do mail shots. We used to do paper mail shots. We used to stuff the post box at the end of his street. His postman used to go mad. And we used to hand stick every stamp onto the onto the mail onto the envelopes. And what was it? CVs in it, or was it like just information, brochure pads? Uh yeah, yeah, whatever you do now on email. Brochures, CVs, sample CVs, pen portraits, you know. And there'd be two hundred of these things. Literally, you couldn't fit another thing in the in the post box. So, how did you how did you find the early days? Like, if you look back, like, what's your kind of memories like of it? It it was great. You know, it was it was, um, it really was. So we were coming out of. Um, so when I started in ninety five, ninety four, ninety five at Hayes. We still had paper CVs in a in a trolley filing cabinet. So wow. you'd go through and you'd you'd, you'd 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 have your part qualified accountants coded pink, you'd have your financial accountants coded yellow, and you'd literally go through manually going through CVs. So you had to know your candidates, hmm. and you had to manage a, a a key, an optimal number of candidates. And we used to say, look, you only need to know fifty people, and place half of them. Yeah. You know, you got 25 temps out. Um, 
so we you know we started in the days of li literally paper and then um Hayes put their their system in Michael Page obviously already had a system in when I when we, we joined with them but they were they were clunky um and you know old school recruitment consultants and well any recruitment consultant is is a difficult is often a difficult mind to change to something new um so you had all these sort of hybrid paper computer systems and um uh it was it it was just crazy how inefficient I think that we were, but also super efficient at the same time. You know, given I think if you were good, you were you were super efficient. So we had you know it was it was a great time. It was a great learning experience. You know, it was sitting there putting together. You know, like we need a website. Are we going to do this? How are we going to how are we going to populate the database? What do we need? And we had literally a Rolodex, and we were ringing every local authority pretending to be from BMW offering a, a free test drive to find out who the chief finance officer was so we could speak to them, you know, um, and just making notes on cards so we could then transpose it onto and, and fill it, fill in the database. Wow. You know, it, there was no such thing as a directory that you could buy and import into a, into a database. There was no LinkedIn. There was, you know, there was nothing like that. Um, but we said from the very beginning, look, we've got, because we just wanted to go. We'd been big billers and we wanted to go. We said, right, we have to invest the first three months in getting the infrastructure right. Resist the urge to get on the phone and, and you know, do deals. Obviously, stuff comes through or, or we'll deal with it. But we, we give it the first three months to really bed down the data and the information that we need, put together like I said, you know, putting in phone lines, putting in getting fax machines, getting letterhead printed, deciding on logos, you know, everything that you can very easily do now in less than 30 seconds on a on a free website, you know, we had to manually do, meeting with people to decide on what, what we wanted uh, compliment slips to look like. You know, nobody uses a compliment slip anymore. Um, so that was really good. It was really exciting. Pardon? What is that? So it's a, it's a, compliments on it. Yeah, it's a small yeah. piece of paper that you put that has with compliments printed on that when you send anything out, yeah, you would that you would include with your name and signature. Right, so it's almost like yeah, like a, like a mini mini note. birthday card, yeah. little, note, little note. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've seen them on other things, but yeah. not in work, not in a work capacity. No, you, you know, we and yeah, a fax header. You've got to have a corporate fax header. So yeah. it looks professional, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, loads of stuff. Really, so you actually, really. You didn't actually hit the phones for three months, really. I mean, we were hitting the phones doing a sort of market research, just get, like I said, gathering data to put into the database because we knew once we started, if we didn't have every hospital or every the thirty or thirty three local authorities fully mapped out, we would not do it. We would not get time to do it. So. Um, yeah, we were, you know, really disciplined about how we how we structured our day, which um, and structured the startup in the first three months or so. Two or three months was 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 very much about getting ready to to go. And then, what was it like once you you'd done that work and you were able to go? It was great. I mean, you know, um, we we started, you know, we're doing deals so um, fairly fairly quickly and slotted it back into the market quite easily. Um, 
we arranged with um, a factoring company to pay the temp payroll. And we put together a business plan. And I remember presenting it to this guy from, from Lloyd's Black Horse, I think they were called factoring company at the time. And we're sitting in this is it two bedroom or three bedroom house downstairs in his in Simon's kitchen talking to this bank manager and um, we presented him with a business plan that was saying that said we were going to do a million pound turnover in our first year and we absolutely convinced that we'd do a million quid we worked it out we, we had month 12 all the way back reverse engineered it this is what we need to do this is how many temps we need to place this is a contract fees we can expect maybe some perm fees we'll do a million quid turnover this guy must have just thought we were were joking so anyway we did it so we did a million in our first year um comes to the second year so yeah we um so six months at the second year you said you're going to do two million this year we'd just like to come and do an audit so oh yeah fine come on you know we quite naive um bank this is yeah, this is the factoring company. Right, so yeah. they come in and they said, all right, fine, do do, do a quick audit, have a look. Fine, no problem, looking at all the invoices. They said, but we've never seen a business plan as accurate or as ambitious as that for year one that's actually been genuine. We thought you were laundering money. <laughs> we thought it was too good to be true. Yeah. So, you know, we'd had, we, we got a good sort of forecasting business, uh, business development type heads on our shoulders we set sort of targets and we aim for them and it's basically not it's not, not changed since it's from what, years the, what would have been the profit or the gross profit on that turnover in the first year oh god um probably a couple hundred grand yeah and yeah. what did you bother hiring or trying hiring anyone or did you just stick to the two of you for that 12 um so we hired somebody into finance um Simon's mother. Um, uh, I no, I think what we did. For, so the first thing we did was we got some money behind us, and then we rented an office. Right. So we moved into an office in Victoria. Where were you we put, working in the first year then? Simon's spare bedroom. Right. <laughs> it's a million quid out of a spare bedroom. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, where did he live? In Croydon. And where were you? I was in Weybridge, so I would drive around the M25. Yeah, yeah, because I've got a house in Crystal Palace near Croydon. Yeah. What? And where's Weybridge? I know the name, but I can't it's, uh It's uh, the M25 is a clock. It's um, eight o'clock. Okay. In, in Surrey. Yeah. So what would that be about 40 minutes or something to get to? Yeah. 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 To someone's house and then go yeah. work. Right anyway. Literally a back bedroom that we, that we painted ourselves. Um, the sun used to come through in the afternoon, so we went to Croydon IKEA and bought the cheapest bamboo blind that we could find. And we still joke about it now. We couldn't find a hammer, so we used a shoot and knit to hammer it into the window frame. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was you know it was, it was good times. You know, what was your life like at that point at that age? Like, what was the setup outside of work that you that you took a risk on in so your life? Both married uh, with no kids. Right. But homeowners or yeah. mortgage owners anyway. You bought your houses. Yeah, that was a bit like me and my business partner. We bought our houses. Yeah. Um, and then and then you'd both got married, no kids, right? So you kind of 
yeah, it's a good time to take that risk. 26. Yeah. 20, 25, 26, 27. Yeah. You know, good, good that, age. That, good that stage. Um, you know, where you're, when you're bulletproof and you can do, you know, you can take on the world and you could do it. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it, it was a great, great opportunity. It was fun times, but you know, the difficult times as well that you have to, to, to deal with. Um, and so once we got our office, we were in Victoria, um, decided we could afford an office. We were, we had enough sort of recurring revenue. Yeah. So we only put five grand in each to the business. Mm. So we haven't, we've never borrowed any money. No. We haven't, we haven't had to put anything in. We haven't taken out, we haven't taken outside investment. In that first year, like straight away, or did you wait for a period? Um, I think we had little bits, but we was only, it was almost like when we're profit, it's still the same now, you know, when you're, when there's profit there and the cash flow and the business can, can afford it, then you'll take a bit out. Yeah. Um, you know, we are you know, there's a salary now, but the I think the 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 importance of cash to the business was always the number one priority. Um, so in terms of a steady a steady growth, and, and you know, you talk about visions and vision, um, that's something I don't think is has really changed. Is you know, we want to be masters of our own destiny, and that doesn't mean reporting to a bank or an external shareholder or you know any other third party that might want to interfere so um that's sort of really became part of our dna from from day one um and then so we quickly moved out of this office in victoria um that's since been knocked down right um you know it was damp it had the wallpaper was peeling off and it was it was awful but it served its purpose um and then we moved into offices in Palm Mall and then we really started because it was more of a prestigious address it was a you know a nice office um it made it a lot easier to start hiring people and and then we started bringing people in from there was the vision always to grow a headcount because you'd obviously yeah, worked in, yeah. you'd worked in big teams right so you, yeah. you only knew that yeah did you enjoy not having to worry about that for a while though, and go just just be lean and um at the time I didn't really think about it because there's so many other things that are taking up your your capacity. Um and I always knew that it was something that we'd be that we'd do. So it wasn't something that it was almost like we're on a route to, to get to that place. Um and we started making hires in the pub, as you do, um uh along the way. Um and I guess what from the early, like I said, from the early days, which still stands now, is that, you know, we used to tell people, look, it's my name and it's his name on the business card. You have to be able to provide an offer and, and deliver a service that warrants what I would expect or what I what, that, that I would deliver. Um, so, for, you know, finding people, they had to be good, but they had to buy in also to the to the to the, the business mentality. Um, How would you describe that? I would describe that as a, um, a, a you know, but the, everybody says this, don't they? Um, it's a, we, we provide a quality and honest service. Um, you know, we will go the extra mile. We'll do 
what we can to to get under the skin of a client and find out exactly what the issues are um, and what they are looking for. Um, and I think going certainly at that time, going that extra mile and being um, experienced enough, but confident enough to communicate your experience um, and opinions, I think was 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 a big differentiator for us at that time. And that's something that we still live by. So it's about experience. It's about trust. It's about loyalty. And that runs through experience, trust and loyalty in our consultants and also with our, you know, with our clients and with our candidates. Demonstrating opinions is a good point, though, because I think that is something that especially when people are early on in their career, they, they don't know if they can do it. Like they, they can often worry. And if you've not got that leader that that's encouraging that, is it going to develop at the same pace? You know, mm. I was lucky enough that the person I work for, she was very, you know, strong with clients and candidates. She was, she was really clear when she didn't want to represent them all, yeah. you know, which didn't agree with their strategy. She, she, in a, in a, in a positive, polite and, you know, constructive way, she would, she'd be happy to say to a client, no. And mm. I remember watching her first few times thinking, you know, you got, yeah. you got some, got some balls <laughs> uh, well, I, I i you know i i it was drilled into me from my from my early days that look you're an equal partner yeah. do not let the do not let a client talk down to you do not let them make you know give you the runaround you are an equal partner you're a business partner to them for your for yours in your specialist area which is hiring um and there's a, a great story so the grad intake it wasn't me but it was it was a it was a grad it's gone out with a senior very senior consultant, one of first, second, third meeting that he's ever been on. And he's sat there. And this client's an absolute ball breaker. You know, I want this, I want this, I do this, do this, do it. And, and really just tore into this, this um, very senior, very experienced consultant. She turns around, she says, let me stop you there. She turns to this grad, who's literally probably been three months, turns to him, he goes, do we really want to work with this guy? And he's like, well, yes, I think, you know, the, uh, it's an wow. exciting opportunity and, um, and, and the, 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 the business is going places and, and, and I think it would be a great, great, you know, an opportunity for us to, to be involved in a growing business. She said, okay, turn back to the guy and said, right, we'll work together, but these are the terms. And, you know, was really blunt back and just cut him, cut him down from the need. And that established the business relationship, which then, evolved and developed into something you know of, of a partnership a long-term partnership often a friendship as well i think if people once that mutual respect is built you can become more than yeah. just a business relationship you know but i think if you're always a yes man or a yes woman and you do what anything anyone ever says and you know you don't you don't think for yourself it'll, it'll never work it's more difficult now with i think with the way that the industry's changed to actually have that kind of one-to-one -one relationship um and you know, we can come to what my views are in terms of how the interest industries evolved but um i i think there it is a lot it's a lot more transactional than um than it used to be well, the, you're obviously the government not-for-profit etc that i imagine has changed a lot with the frameworks and things oh yeah yeah. So back in the day, it would have been a lot more. So I, my first recruitment job in Australia was in the Victorian government, the Australian government. And it was incredible. There was a framework. There was only five vendors that were on it. 
we were one. Randstad were, you know, they mm. won it. I think, I think Hayes got kicked. No, Hayes were on it. Someone got kicked off and they they got on it. Hudson, I think, or someone. And then when we got on there, you know, it was it was genuinely about relate. We'd, we'd signed the terms of business. We got yeah. given we got given all these department names with no contacts, no information other than they've signed. They, they you know they they've got the rights to work with you if they want to. Yeah, and it was incredible. You know, it was about meeting everyone face to face, and the government departments were all in one square mile, pretty much. So mm-hmm. I used to spend my day having coffees and beers and lunches and just building amazing relationships. What I didn't realize at the time was the commission was shocking. It was yeah. well, there wasn't any at the beginning because the terms were so low. They built they kind of built it as I was leaving. It was it was, but it was the best training ground I could have wished for. What was it like in the UK in the, in those days in in the way that you? So, in, so going all the way back, the, when, in, in the UK in two thousand, there was no such thing as a MSP. No, there was no such thing as a vendor. It was it was a free for all, and your revenue depended on the relationships that you built with that line manager. Yeah, and and how you leveraged them into other departments within that organisation. Um, and then sort of slowly the, the 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 master vendors started to come in uh focused on local government at first but still really a stronghold in 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 local government in councils um and at first we made a decision we made a strategic decision that we wouldn't deal with them because the margins were so low I'm interrupting today's episode to mention our sponsor. Talent Ticker are here to help everyone who are in such a candidate short market, right? So if you're looking to grow your recruitment business in 2022, you know candidates are important and Talent Ticker are here to help. What they do is they help recruiters work smart and not hard. They've got over 300 agency clients, recruitment agency businesses that use Talent Ticker, and that helps them connect to the right person at the right time for the right reason. Okay, also automates a lot of monotonous tasks we use and provides simple tools to identify ideal and off-the-grid candidates, people that are under the radar for open roles. So if you like the sound of finding more deeper-level talent that's not exclusively on LinkedIn, for example, then get over to www.get.talentticker.ai forward slash Hoxo. You'll find the link in the episode. Go and take advantage of the special offer they've got on there for our listeners. What when when was this turning point? What what year would you say? Mid two thousands. Right. So f- five years into the business. Yeah. 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 And you know we were we were providing you know a, a very very good service. We're providing the best people. And you how, know, big, how big was your business at that point? We turnover wise, were probably touching fifteen million. Um, probably half a dozen consultants. So yeah, I'm interested to see. Let's say you're six, seven of you, including. I imagine you're still on the tools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you've built this team with this yeah. mindset. This is because that's how you do it. You take what you know, you replicate. This is how we operate. We do it. Hiring managers, we build relationships first. It's not just you and your yeah. business partner at that point when things change. You've got to think right. Well, as a, like you say, we took a strategic decision mm. not to engage with an MSP. Mm. Did you believe they were they were kind of a, fl- a kind of a What's a phase, perhaps, uh, you know, something that might come and go? Yeah. Um, or or we, we believed that we believed that our relationships were strong enough that there'd be a workaround. Yeah, yeah. Now, what became clear was that that workaround was, yes, you could use your relationships and, and yes, you will get first call on things. And yes, people will 
um, come to you when they're moving on assignments, et cetera, et cetera. And you run through the same process as you used to. You just then have to sign up to the MSP to process, process the payment. It's going from and to. Remember. I mean, you know, we we we'd have a target margin of a, of twenty five percent. You know, we were obviously we we were f flexible on that. Um, and I think so. The margins moved shifted overnight from twenty five to about 13, 14. Wow! Wow! And they haven't. They've gone down since then. So. Yeah, we so we would we would carry on doing our business. You know, you know, our, our success based is based on the time and the effort and the relationships and the experience and the trust that we've built up over the last ten years. Yeah, to be able to fill that job quickly, it's then priced by a processing system and valued by a processing system. How did so, you get on when you refused to initially use it? Well, we. Um, we we invoked our terms and conditions on more than one occasion mm. for transfer. Right. Um, I won't go into who, but we settled on literally on 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 the the at the front door of the the courthouse with a client wow. for for about eight or nine temp to perm fees. Yeah. That because we hadn't signed up to an agreement, they just in our view, stolen our contractors and moved them across to other agencies. Wow. Wow. So yeah, we, we got, you know, we, we, we did have tussles with them along the way. Um, but did it actually have a decline in, you see a decline in performance and revenue and everything? I think the volumes were there and we are, you know, we weren't, um, we our, our market spread or our industry spread as has always been something that we said, look, you deal with housing, you deal with local government, you deal with central government, you deal with NHS. Every consultant has isn't it isn't in a vertical sector. So, you know, they have a spread of clients and the the vendors were were typically were local government. So we just shifted our focus to to different to different industries. Um so revenue-wise, it, it, it wasn't so much of an effect. Yeah. So what, and then what, we were flying yeah. through the two thousands. Mm. Um, you know, incredibly, in five years in, two thousand six, I think it was. We won the Accountancy Age Award for Recruiter of the Year. Now, Accountancy Age for well, you know, for for older listeners, was probably one of the premier industry accounting industry accounting and finance industry weekly publications and it was a voter uh, sorry a reader voted poll right and you know we're up against robert half michael page and hayes and reed and us you know it was insane we go to the awards and we only bloody win it so you know it was justification that um you know we were doing the right thing um, we were disrupting, you call it disrupting now, the, the, the traditional model of, of how big recruitment works. Mm -hmm. uh, we built on the back of that, um, you know, you're touching the fast track, you're touching pof, pro, uh, Sunday Times profit track, you, you know, various awards, various 
um, sort of magazine pieces, sort of top 100 here, top you know, top 50 there. I think we've been in the recruiter magazines, top 100 every year, hot one, hot 100 every year in the fast 50. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we were flying through the 2000s, through the noughties. Um, and then our recession started when the coalition government came in. So everything went crazy in 2008, 2009. And there, and there was a lot of consultants in financial services in industry being laid off. Yeah. We started hoovering them up. I bet. I bet. You must have been. Yeah. Because the government would have been stable at that point. So the government, the government spending was, 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 you know, was regular. Um, so that's really when we started um, hiring um, and and bringing in people who didn't have industry experience but had function experience. So you know, if you've been recruiting accountants in retail, then yeah, we'll give you a go. Yeah. Um, so really pushed through the for the through the end of the noughties and and like I said, until the coalition, the age of austerity started when. Um, Conservative Liberal Party came in and decided to to you know address the issues of the credit crunch um, in public spending. Um, so yeah, it was it was a crazy decade. Um, did you carry on recruiting through that decade, or did you, what? What point did you perhaps come off the tools? Oh, um, I've always been involved i've always been operationally involved until covid i've always been on the desks managing a team right um so not directly recruiting but helping you know half a dozen in the hr team recruit and you know focus on them and dealing with you know being there as a sounding board to deal with issues or give an opinion on things or you know spot people who you know who might be having problems or an issue or, or, and being able to to mentor them or help them through that. So always functionally involved, um, operationally involved. Um, like I said, up, up until, up until COVID when we, we've had a slight reorganization in terms of what we, we need to do. So um, yeah, that was, you know, that was, so yeah, 20 years. Um, so push through there. Um, and then, so the headwinds of austerity slowed us down. Um, we lost people. We lost consultants then. Um, mainly, not really of our, of our choice, but other, we, had, we had a, there was an exodus of people to, to Asia and Australia. Right. Um, How many people were you at the peak at that point? Probably, let's say, 45, 50. Yeah. Um, and you know it, it just it was just so tough um and there was nothing really in industry in the uk to to confidently have a run at so yeah lots of people in singapore to australia a couple to australia um hong kong you know that that's where it seemed to be the the, so the markets what i'm interested in is your mindset at that point so a couple of yeah. things so, so you like you say you're 10 years in or so yeah how did your life, you're now late 30s, so I'm yeah. 36 now, you're kind of my age. You know, how was your life? How would your life change? Did you have kids at that point? And yeah, so kids, kids were there, kids were on the way. Um uh personally, 
I mean, it was it was very very challenging. We lost in the space of six months our turnover halved, and that was a scary time. I bet because you that get was, you, you kind of get used to it, don't you? Like you got yeah. used to the performance growth over the yeah. ten months. We had we we just had you know bad news after bad news after bad news, um, and what. Well, okay. So personally, what happened for me in terms of how I cope with it, it is like being in the middle of a whirlpool being, or, you know, just being spun around and you don't know what's coming. The worst thing that you can do, or the worst thing that I could do was to either celebrate a small win with a drink or commiserate my small losses or a loss with a drink. Mm. So I stopped drinking. Because it was it was getting to the point where you know, all oh, right, that's great news. Let's go to the pub. Oh shit, that's bad news. Let's go to the pub. Um, so that gave me a, a clarity and a focus. I think just to be able to manage the spinning plates, to be able to you know wake up not feeling groggy and be able to think right I, with clarity, I can handle this problem and I can deal with it. Yeah. Um, so my my reaction to that was to. Um, was to 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 stop drinking to get focused um and then you know really understand but not worry so much or not worry as much that things were not controllable and bring things back into my control how did your business partner respond and what was the relationship like over that 10-year period so yeah i mean we were partners in crime you know we were <laughs> We were cut from the same cloth. You know, that's yeah. why we started up. We were best friends. You know, we we, yeah. we started pushing through. Um, you know, I think me, I didn't uh, exactly, you know, completely distance myself from the pub. I'd just go out and I just wouldn't drink. I'd just have a, you know, Diet Coke or, you know, lemonade or a Red Bull or whatever. Um, but what wasn't happening was, uh, you know, it wasn't the crazy two o'clock in the morning anymore. It was, it was a, you know, rather sedate nine thirty train home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, that did change. That did change um, the business and and certainly the relationship between me and him. But I think if we look back at it, I think it was necessary. Certainly from my perspective, it was necessary to do it. Um, and it gave me a, a like I said, a, a, an opportunity to be able to think that I can handle things and I can control what is seems to be uncontrollable right now. Wow. And how did your family respond to that? So, well, we got through austerity, so business-wise, and then we recovered really, really well and quite quickly. Um, so we got back up to about... 40 million turnover by 15 16 something like that um and um that well, so being getting seeing the fruits of the the you know the focus and the control and the business and and, and things coming back the market coming back and being successful again and being sober put a spotlight on my marriage yeah um and I quickly came to realize that all of the issues that I thought were our issues because I was pissed actually 
being sober, those issues didn't go away. So um, that's you know, I ended up starting to get divorced in that in that right. in the mid in the mid the mid teens in that sort of 15, 16 area. And I just had a, a real rethink in terms of what my life was and what I wanted it to be. And you know, you get to that 40 and you think, well, if this is midlife, if I'm half time, yeah, what do I want my second half of my life to be? And I made some, you know, pretty big decisions during that time. And you how many kids did you have at that point? Three. At what ages? uh early teens girls and a five-year-old boy yeah so it's a huge huge decision isn't it because even if a lot of people stay together for kids like they just yeah. they just kind of go we'll wait till they're 18 and then we'll make a decision and it's just bonkers. i couldn't i i couldn't stay in that relationship as toxic as it was and raise two teenage girls showing them that that is what a normal mummy and daddy relationship was yeah yeah that it, it, it that it got to that point where i just thought they they cannot think that this is normal they cannot think that this is conditioned that there's screaming arguments every every five minutes and doors slamming and things being thrown it just can't that cannot be the imprint that i give to my girls um so yeah that started a very it started reasonably but it ended very unreasonably um well, I bet. Because- five years later it took five years to get divorced. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, financially and commitments to the business and things. It's a different. It's a lot, yeah. a lot of, lots to untangle, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, she came. I want half of everything, including your half of the business. So, you know, immediately it's okay. Let's let's work this out. So, where we were at business-wise was you know, fifteen, sixteen with three and a half million EBIT. Yeah. Um, you know no debt things are looking good we've got a great business everything's going ahead um everything's going to go forward and then um as you're probably aware from your your chats with chris at timothy james that but so the various external factors master vendors came in they started to race to the bottom in margins okay fine um, the NHS put rate caps in terms of what we could charge um, a hospital based on a, a multiplier, 1.5 multiplier of the base salary, the base permanent salary of that position. Now, you don't have to be a math genius to work out that the base salary plus holiday pay plus national employers national insurance plus you know pension pension contributions plus apprenticeship levy that doesn't leave an awful lot for. For, for for the agent at the end and risk really restricted on that. Took it to that a GDPR headache to to deal with um uh and drop Brexit on there. How about that? Um so it's almost like every year there was a new challenge to to face and to deal with that you know each each time was sort of was sort of holding the business back. Um uh come out of brexit and then we get a pandemic and you know so the last seven six seven years have been have been really really challenging yeah. um in in, a, in our sector um so what what i guess what you you know when you're getting divorced and you your ex-wife's looking at ebit of three and a half million and then you're looking at a business that's had five years of challenges into it and it's not worth what she thought it was and thinks you're lying about what you what it's worth 
um, it becomes a very long, very long and drawn out and expensive legal experience. Okay. And how do you? I can see the the clarity from the dropping alcohol back in mm. the time where the first challenge is here. How did you cope with this one? Because did you bring alcohol back or did you keep keep it away? No, I, I I I fell off the wagon for a bit. Mm. I mean, I wasn't. It wasn't. You know, I, I certainly wasn't dependent on alcohol. Mm. I just enjoyed it a bit too much, yeah. um, and it would get to a point where I. I just didn't really like the person that I was when I was pissed. Um, yeah. And I'd end up apologizing for things that I'd said and, you know, really regretting stuff that I didn't, I didn't mean, I just said it because I thought it'd be controversial or, you know. Um, so went back, I, I went back to drinking, socializing, you know, getting myself out and about. Um, but with just with a view that I knew where a limit was and I didn't really want to pass that, pass that limit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, met my, met my wife. Um, we got married four years ago. Um, we got a daughter, two year old, nearly three. Um, and, you know, personally, I'm in such a happy place, you know, that, that decision, the stick or twist decision, age 40 you know has uh, that has worked out that's really worked out for me so you know from a from a an emotional personal and mental health perspective um in a, in a much much better place and i think that helps you that grounds you in business as well oh man i, can't. I think if you if you don't have that or if you don't seek that then it affects and it can it can very negatively affect how you run your business i literally had this like i got married in 2019 but the wedding was it was already fucked like but when we got married it, she'd called it off a month before we ended up getting married because her family were traveling from across the world and it was this big fake show i had 350 guests at a wedding that I'd, and i knew it was i knew it was doomed like i knew it was and then we split up on and off for the next year but i couldn't get divorced for 12 months so it, right. i literally left a year to the day of getting married so it was june 2020 in the pandemic so you know i had to wait to get my negative test results to be able to go home to see my family and leave london which was mental um and i just remember thinking what like my business had gone through the in the in that three month period of the pandemic hit it was really quite similar i dropped alcohol I literally did this 75 day challenge where I trained twice at a healthy diet. Didn't 75 drink. hard. Yep. I did that at the start of in the pandemic. Finish so March, March 30th to July, June 13th. I did it. Um, did you finish it? Yeah. Yeah. I finished it. Yeah. Oh, well done, mate. I had, a, I had a blood clot in my back from all the exercise. I thought I had cancer at one point. I still did it. <laughs> um, it was mad. I had this big yeah. lump pop up and the doctors were like, we think it's a, it could be a tumor. It could be a blood clot. And I'm like, well, the good thing about 75 hours is it makes you take a photo every day. Yeah. And my ex used to take a picture of me front, side, and back, right? Yeah. So I've got this lump in my back that wasn't there two days before because I've got the picture. That's so good. the doctors are like, we think it could be a sarcoma, which is a cancerous tumor. And I'm like, the only bit of peace of mind I had was cancer doesn't grow that fast. And I'm like, yeah. it's got to be, anyway, it turned out to be a blood clot. But when we got through that and her, she didn't really support me. She was not that interested. It literally the the clarity from the lack of alcohol. I knew, like I, I kind of thought going into COVID we might 
this might save us because we spent time together and shit. But I knew by the year anniversary, I just kind of got my life back after thinking I could be ill. And I'd not drank. I felt great. I was like, I'm off. Yeah. And I literally went to Spain for six. I went to Ibiza for the summer and I cleared my head. And then it was only a few months later, I I, I met my, I'm getting married next month. And it's a similar right. story. Right? I, well, I, I dated her years ago. We got back in touch and it, it's just been amazing. But um, it's crazy. Like the business and your personal life are so entwined. You don't even realize like, because I was leading up to the wedding, I was drinking three, four nights a week, yeah. knowing there's problems at home, not telling anyone and going, does anyone fancy another drink or don't yeah. fancy, like, there might be a Champions League game on or whatever. I was I was gravitating to anything to not have to go home. Um, no, it's, a, it, it's an excuse to, or it's a, it's, a, it's a much more attractive place to be, isn't it, the pub? Yeah. yeah. If things aren't good at home. For sure. And it was like, um, it was, everything changed. The interesting thing now is, I don't know about you, but like, because I've done, I think I've done about 15, 16 months of alcohol free since I started this journey. In 2015, I started taking months off. And then I had this yeah. period of, I think I did about six months at around the time of the divorce. And then, but now I've kind of, I've gone back to being more of a social, you know. Yeah. But it's finding that balance now. I think mm. that I'm, I'm better at, but I still, I kind of beat myself up because I know what my brain is like when I don't drink. Yeah, I'm like the, even the smallest hangover. I kind of think to myself, well, "Was it worth it?" Like, do, do you ever get like that? It depends. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to say and it's it's not even a joke. It's like one pint it was too many, but ten wasn't enough. Wow. So you you know, one pint would tip you over the edge until, and you'd end up you'd be ten, twelve pints in, and then you'd be full, and then you'd hit the Jack Daniels because yeah. you, you couldn't fit any more alcohol in you. So. It depends. It depends very much on your. I think you know this isn't a mental health thing, but I think it depends on what your attitude is or, or your susceptibility to excess, not and possibly addiction. I don't know enough about addiction, but your susceptibility to 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 excess and how strong your self control and willpower is. See, I'm not um, like that. I'm a more four four or five pints of beer. You know, but yeah. I still feel it the next day. Um, well, you know, I'd end up, I'd end up in a rave in my suit, and they'd all think I was a police. You know, it would be <laughs> in some illegal rave somewhere. You know, it would be crazy times. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what you you've got to cut. You've got to cut that out. But then I so did you. So you got into sport because I started. I ch changed my. It doesn't look like it now, but um, I started cycling. Yeah, um, and I channeled I channeled all of my energies into, or my my my, let's say, lack of self control would be three four hours out on the bike, which also interestingly was three or four hours away from the toxic home environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I I kind of replaced that with riding around the Surrey Hills. And more positive vibes. A lot more positive. Lost lost a ton of weight, um, and. Or it was, I've never really been able to meditate. I've never really tried to meditate, but it is like a meditation when you're out riding. And that was really useful for me. Um, and that helped me sort of just get clarity in terms of, you know, a, a self-evaluation, self-development. So how's the last few years been then? Again, we don't want to go into too much. We're actually at an hour point already. Oh, God, are we? Right. Carry on. We, we've got, I've got some time. So you can edit, edit me out. No, don't be that. Tell us, 
so obviously you've gone through divorce. Yeah. We've gone through COVID, but like you said, your roles changed. So how have yes. how have how have you evolved in the business as your so, life's got better? So what we've got um in a nutshell is we've got some very, very experienced, long-standing senior team members in, in the business. So the average tenure at Morgan Law of our directors is 15 years, wow. which I think is unheard of across the industry. Our average tenure, including, you know, half a dozen new starters that have just come in, average tenure at Morgan Law is 11 years. That's crazy. So, you know, we've got a strong core team. Um, very experienced, you know, everybody needs guidance and everybody needs guiding through things. Like I said, you know, nobody knows what the rate caps are. What does that mean? What, are, what does Brexit mean for us? What are clients saying? How is How are we going to deal with the pandemic? What's furlough? You know, all these different things that have been sort of thrown at us for the last four or five years in, in our market. Um, what I haven't had to worry about is the experience of the consultants and their abilities to do the job. What I need, needed to do is be able to take a, a macro view of what's happening in the world, what's happening in the industry, and also what's happening generationally, because yeah. I think that's often overlooked. Um, you know, millennials are now, you're a millennial, you're probably 30, you could be 35, you're a millennial. Yeah. You know, gen, my ge generation X, we're on our way out, you know, and, and it's being able to understand what the technology changes are. Um, what the communication changes are, how people work, what people expect, you know, what 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 does Gen Y want? What what do millennials want? What does Gen Z want? Gen Z. Um, so I found myself sort of getting more involved in on, on a macro level. So what I've got is a very strong MD who took the operational side. I've got Simon who loves the operational stuff and is is running between the two of them. They can run the teams. Yeah, and that's freed me up to be a little bit more kind of uh say strategic maybe visionary maybe maybe aware of 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 industry changes of you know generational changes technology changes and things like that so i've stepped into um uh you know looking at marketing looking at what um what technology can actually do beyond shoving a cv in a, a cv in a fax um <laughs> You know what 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 is possible out there? What are we doing? How are we how are we marketing? How are we presenting? What's our brand message? Um, what sort of thought leadership are we doing? You know how are we engaging with people? What's our candidate experience like? What's our client experience like? And really, it's been a really valuable journey for me to be able to to step back, but but actually analyze this business and be critical in places as well to make suggestions and improvements. On how how we're positioned and and what our what our message actually is and how and how we can operate in this, like I said, the it's, 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 recruitment in the last five years has been like a video game where you've got to beat the boss on that level and then you get thrown into a new level that's tougher and you've got to get through that level to beat that boss. Yeah, and that's where that literally every year has been been that for the last four or five years. No, I agree. I agree. I think it's great that you've made those changes. Um, you can't, you can't, you, otherwise, you, you you know, you've seen it, you know, there's a lot of businesses, some of the businesses you mentioned in Australia, you know, we've seen a lot that 
just don't exist anymore. They've been no. swallowed up or, you know, what happened to the the dreams, the visions, the objectives, the strategy of those founders back then? You know, that, that's all they've, they've been swallowed up or they disappeared or, you know, they've gone. So to be able to move and adapt, I think you do need to have, you know, looking at the sorts of stuff that you do at Hoxo, mm. um, is embrace it and don't resist it. Um, and really just stick to what you're good at, but present it and communicate it well, in the new world. That's what I do, right? That's what I'm always saying to people. It's like, I don't change, the, the, or I don't want to change or try and change the basics of what recruiters do. I, I love it. I think it's the simplicity of it is actually what's best about the industry. Yeah. It's the communication that changes. Like, if you're still picking up the phone only and sending emails, you're an idiot in 2022 yeah. when you've got a LinkedIn profile that you're paying 10 grand a year for recruiter licenses. You've probably got five to 10,000 connections and you don't communicate a message to them daily or by daily. Like you're just missing out because other people are doing everything you're doing and they're just adding that layer. And it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's bonkers really, but um, it's it, so actually, many platforms. There's so many platforms to, to be visible that getting attention is more difficult. Yeah. But if you're not using them, if you're not visible, you are invisible. If you're invisible, you do not exist. Exactly. You, you, right you, now. you become irrelevant. Yeah. And there's a period of time where people will still work in a black book, but it is going to run out. Like you say, with 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 the with the generational movement, there will yeah. be it will go. So it's like you can either hold on to the current way, your old way of working, until you're done, or you can try and embrace. It. And I think that's right. what. Yeah, and that that you know that works, and we've seen we've seen a lot of people using basically LinkedIn as a black book, and you know it, it doesn't take you could very quickly look at the numbers in terms of the numbers of employees in recruitment versus the number of recruitment companies. The average is about three or four headcount per yeah. per per recruitment company listed. Um, black book stuff that's great, but you're not going to scale it. No, you know you can't scale. A black book you need to be able to um utilize and use the tools that are there that have have come come around the last 20 years for your advantage to your advantage and be able to 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 leverage them to scale your business two things left i want to cover but i, yeah. I mean spot on first thing is what, what are you seeing right now so we talked about it at the very beginning like this you know we we, we, we everyone's predicting recession and downturns what um honestly what's been going on in your business over the last month or two and what do you see well, look I, I let's just say it's going to be choppy i think the economy is going to be choppy i think um we will see what the effect the 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 long tail effect of of um the emergency budget last week is we will wait to see on how that pans out um, I think what's it, interest rates are going to six percent. I think that's a certain. Yeah, I think that's that's guaranteed. Now, what are the effects of interest rates at six percent? Um, what are the effects of the the cost of living crisis? When what's going to happen with um with the the geopolitical situation? There are a lot of factors. I think over the next twelve months that say it's going to be choppy. Um, and and you know expect expect choppy waters. I think the candidate crisis is coming to an end. Um, I'm seeing a lot more activity. I've seen a lot more activity in the summer months than I have for the pre for the first half of the year in terms of people looking at jobs. 
think people are starting to look at things. I think that'll be driven by the fact that to actually pay the gas bill and fill your car up and buy Christmas presents, you're going to have to earn more money. And, you know, working hard may or may not result in a little bit more money, but realistically, it's going to be moving jobs. Do you also think that there's an element of loyalty to some employers in COVID that will run out? So almost like if someone protected you for that period, you're going to feel it, you've, you've, you've looked after them, but then after a year or two of the ending, it might just feel a little bit like it's okay to go now. Uh, possibly. I think the people that felt the loyalty have probably felt loyalty prior from their mm -hmm. employer prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't think you became a, a loyal employer just because there was a virus running around the world. Um, I think there's probably more people who were dissatisfied with the way that they were um, uh, dealt with, managed and handled um, during the pandemic that that will that will be the that will be the floodgates that open. I think habitually the candidate crisis caused obviously by the massive spike in in backed up jobs um, for the 2020 it fell off a cliff right now, the ONS um, numbers are probably double what they've ever been in terms of advertised vacancies. That's balancing out. That's coming back down. So I think we're, we're, what I just said to my guys is that we're looking at a very much a more normal market. Yeah. Where candidates are coming up, job numbers are going to come down. So it's going to be about being as 360 as you can, making sure that you're keeping on top of relationships, staying in touch with people and having a... Um, you know, having a good portfolio of contacts that you, you know, that that, that know your that know that you are there and are able to help them. Because I think there is a ba the, the balance is coming is returning. So how do you? There's a question I've asked on every show so far. I think this season. How do you manage expectation in your team then? So let's say you've had someone who's done, I don't know, 70, 50% more than they normally do based on market conditions. Yeah. That's brilliant, right? They get used to comms, you get re you get used to the revenue, brilliant. But what happens when the market normalizes? Do you expect the same from someone? Do you do you drop your expectation based on market? But then how does that impact their feeling around themselves? Like this, there's a big project. A, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that question, and, and that's not a wishy-washy way of answering it. I think you've got... Very good, very experienced consultants who have benefited from the wave, the first half of the wave. But I think that's probably just got them back to where they should be or what they're capable of. Um, and I think in a balanced market, they're still capable of that. Um, I, I think, you know, if if somebody has or is overperforming or has overperformed in, in, in my eyes, in terms of what their ability is, then you just have to support them. You have to encourage them and you have to refocus people. I think habitually we're very quick to get into a habit or an expectation. And you've seen this a lot. There's been a lot of overhiring in recruitment. There's been a lot of overhiring in tech. Um, I'm seeing a lot of internal recruiters on LinkedIn that have just been made redundant or yeah. are looking for a job and things like this. So, you know, there are some some signs that that over hiring is balancing as as balancing out but we didn't do that again you know we stick to our message we stick to can, are you are you good enough do you believe in our values can you represent us yes you can then you're good enough then you will be fine um and it's making sure that people are 
I guess, just focused and reset their way of working, their operations, their goals, their objectives, whether that's a monthly, a quarterly, half-yearly, yearly objectives. Um, so I don't really see... I, I, I see that the, the people that are overbilling, overbilling, overbilling previous years are back to where they should be. I think anybody who's made that jump up, it's about keeping them there and, and giving them the tools and giving them mentorship and giving them the advice to make sure they stay there. Makes sense. And um, final question for you is where, what is the future looking like? Like, what do you now see as your vision now that you're, you know, 20 years or so yeah. in, in, in as a business owner, what's next? I mean, you know, I've been thinking about this. Your vision is... Vision is only good as your visibility, and nobody in January 2020 had a, a had visibility of a year and a half pandemic. We were coming out of Brexit. We we were back to pre-Brexit numbers, January 2020. Yeah, I remember that. It was a good good few months. I think February that end of end of 19, back to back January 20. We were flying. I did my big. Wolf of Wall Street speech, this is it, new decade, Brexit's over, we're going to have it, you know, let's really go out there and, and you know, achieve our potential. Yeah, and then March 17th or whatever it was happened and it was like, okay, right, what do we do now? So um, vision-wise is, right, of the vision, our leadership horsepower is on the next 12 months. Is focusing on the people that we've got, making sure that you know they're looked after, they're happy, they're working, they're making money, they're um, motivated. That's where the the majority of our horsepower is is going right now. I think once we come through this, um, the next twelve months, I think from a three year, I guess three to five year plan, um, there could be an exit. There could be an exit. Um, you know, we've talked. You know, we've had half an eye on the market from day one. We've had conversations with people. And if we could find somebody that does align with our vision and we think, you know, it's a very sort of personal decision, I think, to 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 sell a bit to sell a business um that you've built from nothing. Um and it would have to go to the right hands. And I think realistically the right hands are the the, the people that know the DNA of the management. Um so you know, I, I think there may be a there may be a, an event in in three or five years time where the where we try and facilitate a management buyout. But right. you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, David, I just want to say thank you. I've loved this episode. It's been, right. uh, you know, we've gone over a longer period of time. We've dug into really some personal and some yeah. really interesting interesting challenges. Um, I think so many people will resonate with you. Um, both put like say professionally and personally. I think if anyone does want to reach out to you and ask any questions, whether it be because they've resonated with something or, you know, um, they see something similar in their own life, are you okay, are you okay with that? I absolutely delight. I mean, again, something that I've learned, and I know we're probably overrunning here, but something I learned through COVID was I, I did a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-development, and a lot of sort of inward thinking. And one of the things I thought of, right, there's half a dozen guys that have left me. They've started up their own business. They're two, three, four, five consultants, whatever it may be. They don't know what fellow is. They don't have the advice. They don't have the great hair that I have. <laughs> and I reached out to them on LinkedIn and said, look, if you want me, I'm here for a chat. And I you know, hadn't spoken to some of them for five, six years. And I said, look, 
if you want to pick my brains on anything, I'm here. And I'd extend that to anybody. Um, LinkedIn, obviously, um, or um, email me, davidmorgan at morgan-law.com. That's probably going to be the quicker response than than, than LinkedIn. But um, I, either way, reach out and I'd be happy to to speak to anyone. All on David Morgan, one word, at morgan-law.com. Okay, I'll get that added to the show notes and everything that goes out. So, um, David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'd love to get you back on in a, in a couple of years and see how things have evolved and where you are against those plans and um, and just to see, yeah, what, what's happened in your life because I think there's... Uh... Sean, I'd be delighted. I'm, I'm an, uh, an avid fan of the podcast, so, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And, and, you know, like I said, it benefits me listening to people as well. So, you know, it's not a one-way street. Um, if I can help anybody along the way, I will. And I, and I think that's my duty to, to do that. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I'd be happy to speak to you anytime. Legend. Cheers, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you I'll see you soon